0: Changing Reels, A podcast that aims to change the conversation on diversity and representation in cinema one reel at a time. My name is Courtney Small. I write about film for several publications, including ThatShelf.com, where the show is hosted, and Cinema Access, to name a few. I'm also the co-host of the podcast Frameline. Today, I'm joined by podcaster and writer Jay Cullett. Jay is the host of the LambCast podcast and the creator of the website Life vs. Film. He has also contributed to the film-loving site French Toast Sunday and oversees the large association of movie blogs, a.k.a. The Lamb which is now approaching close to 2,000 members? Is that...
1: Uh, that's, yeah, uh, it's it's far fewer active members, but 2,000, I think we're, we're about 30 off at the moment. And it's about 30 people waiting to, to be added, so we're, we're almost there. I just need, to, just need to get my acting to gear and add them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and do you want to take a moment, just in case there's somebody out there who has never heard of The Lamb? And like, to, to me, it's a place close to my heart, because when I started writing about film, The Lamb was kind of one of the first things that I joined up, and met a lot of really cool writers and people that I'm still friends with today so do you want to just take a few minutes and, and plug the lamp yeah
1: absolutely uh, as you said it's the, the large association of movie blogs On we found that largeassmovieblogs.com and it is just that it, it's a large assembly of movie blogs it's it's people all around the world pretty pretty much every continent that people live on many many countries just people writing about all different kinds of films some are, are professional critics who get paid to do this for a living and some people are like me who try and scramble it together as a hobby outside of, of work and family time and every aspect there's, there's horror there's sci-fi there's western there's people dedicating blogs to all sorts of things And a bunch of podcasts as well. And over on on The Lambcast, the official podcast of The Lamb, my co-host Richard and I, we we try to reflect that cornucopia of movie fandoms. It does new releases, it does older films, it does drafts, it does quizzes,
0: it does anything and everything each week. Our main film is the 2011 science fiction action-adventure Attack the Block, directed by Joe Cornish. The film follows a group of teens in South London who must defend their neighbourhood from an alien invasion. Jay, do you want to kick us off on your thoughts on this film? Yes. Uh, well,
1: I picked it mainly because I wanted to watch it again because uh, I hadn't seen it for a, a few years, and it kind of it fit the the bill of of your show. Uh, it's a film that doesn't get discussed enough. I think everyone who's seen it likes it, but no one seems to talk about it all that much. I, I think it was in cinemas in in the US for like a couple of weeks at most, and then just got buried, and it didn't do much better in the UK. But it's a it's a low budget, and you, but it doesn't feel that like a low budget film. It, it was made for for eight million pounds which isn't much for a film there's only one one name at the time was nick frost there's only kind of known known actor in it and there's a bunch of people who've gone on to other things who i'm sure we'll get into later uh, john boyega and jodie whittaker top among them i think but i think it's a very entertaining film that has a few messages to to say along the way but for the most part it's just for the the budget and it all being set in this one apartment block on south you said south london, on south london flat complex um it's very entertaining and the design of the the aliens is i mean, I'm always a big fan of monster, the creature design in films so I particularly enjoy the very much a guy in a suit kind of an alien that we have here but it's still a really interesting design and great for what they've done on a budget. Uh, have you seen this before?
0: Yes I had seen it before. I think I initially missed it when it was theatres. I remember hearing a lot of buzz about it but as you said it was a film that kind of got buried. It also came out in the same year as Super 8. I can't remember which one was first but it clearly didn't have the backing in terms of promotional backing the way that super 8 did.
1: I think it came out the same weekend as Thor and another big release as well, so that didn't help.
0: Yeah, it, which exactly, You, if you're going up against Marvel, there was no competition. I feel like this film really deserves a lot more love. Like, I was glad that you suggested this one because, like you, I hadn't watched it in a while, and I was very eager to jump back in, and I actually showed my eight-year-old son the film. Oh, nice. Preparing for this. <laughs> well, you see, here's the thing I've learned about myself and my parenting skills during uh, the pandemic is a lot of my choices right now halfway through the film I go should I really be showing this to my son (laughs) there's a lot of swearing in it and also some horrific deaths that's the part that I didn't remember because in my mind I kept thinking oh it's a fun action film it's a rom yeah it's a sci-fi rom aliens there's humour to it Nick Frost is in it and I forgot that there's some genuine scares and some genuine scenes of gore there are two different characters who have their faces bitten off exactly yeah there's a lot going on and i had to at one point i had to pause to say look it's okay if you want to back out and leave the room but he he was like no no he was going with it and he did have (laughs) a couple of big jump moments one of which we we both laughed at he did sleep through the night so i think i'm okay (laughs) and you know i think you'll appreciate this i used as a gauge for him being able to watch attack the block again my version of attack the block without all the gore was well he's watched jurassic park i know that's one of your favorite films that is that is the greatest film I've ever made. Yes. So I always gauge things by Jurassic Park standard. Then obviously, once you get, it, as you said, the creature design, some genuine gore, and I was like, oh, I think I made a terrible mistake as a parent. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I would say this is a little heavier than, than Jurassic Park. I mean, Jurassic Park does have some some kind of gory deaths in it. with mean, Muldoon getting gored by the by the raptor. You kind of see it from behind a, a branch, and there's a snake just kind of in in the way, but you still see the raptor's face going chowing down on his head. And similarly, Gennaro. On the toilet, but it, it, you could show him the TV cut, which cuts out Gennaro on the toilet being eaten, which is the best part of the film, and I hate that the TV cut takes that out. Uh is a pet peeve of mine.
0: I've franticed about this many times on many podcasts. <laughs> it's the best part of the film. I showed him the proper version of Jurassic Park, and for me, I thought I thought the part that he'd freak out the most is when Wayne Knight's character dies. Oh yeah, because that's the part that made me jump in the theater. Yeah, you have to kind of be expecting that character to to not survive the film
1: argument. He is. He is the main bad guy in, in the in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he does have a... Although his death is less horrific than it is in the book, where, I'm not sure if you've read the book or not, but where, they, where he dies, uh, he gets the guck the in his eyes again, he's blinded, but then he describes being eaten alive whilst he's blind. Yes. <laughs> That's, that sticks with you.
0: With this film, there was parts where he was kind of doing the half covering your eyes, but keeping sure the fingers open so you can still watch what's going on. Like he did pick up on a couple of the the symbols in this film that I don't think he really fully registered towards the end of the film. He he noticed that Moses still had the handcuffs on him, which I think is a, a very powerful statement. And there's various types of monsters in in this film and before we get to the actual alien monsters let's just talk about the kids and the setting because this film starts off these group of teenagers essentially robbing a woman for her phone and her money so they are immediately put in the corner of hoodlums innocent people and then over the course of the film they evolve as heroes and then the monsters may not necessarily be those kids but the environment that they live in and like police force do you want to Talk a bit about that.
1: I think when we first introduced the film from the perspective of Sam, of the nurse Jodie Whittaker, when she sees these these kids, don't even, we don't even know they're kids at that point. Uh, they're on kind of BMXs and mopeds, but you don't see their face. It's not until the end of the film you find out that Moses is only fifteen. Or they kind of take their mask down and they go back to their various homes. You don't know how young these kids actually are. It's a kind of a common thing to see a, a gang of hooded youths, as my parents would call them, and be scared. Be, like, wary of what's going to happen at that point. When I was buying a house, my parents were kind of helping me out, looking for a house to buy. And one house we liked, outside the window, there were some kids in hoodies. And my parents said, don't move here. There were kids in hoodies outside, and that was five years ago, and that's just the kind of people that my parents are. Anyway, so I think that the depiction of from Sam's perspective, seeing these kids and being scared of them, that's not an uncommon thing. But when she does get mugged, so she was right to be scared. But we do learn, as you say, it's it's very much the the world around them that's almost forcing them to, in this position. Moses doesn't have any parent figures. He has an uncle who's rarely there, so he's got to fight for himself, and the only way he knows how to do that is to well, he's he's involved in drug dealing, but he can kind of tell he doesn't want to be that's just the only option he's got but I think the kids they're easy to tell apart character wise they each got their own personality they're all really good in this
0: yeah they definitely bring a nice layer to the film and it's interesting that you're right we don't realize that Moses is 15 until the very end there's a lot of responsibility placed on his shoulders for a good portion of this film and you do get the impression that these kids are bad individuals but as the film progresses and as after they have that encounter with the alien and realize that there's more coming down, you get little glimpses into their most of their home lives, and they're all living with their parents. You know, they are grandparents. They still have to take the dog out. I think Cornish does a really good job of of setting up a particular stereotype so that you do have the initial fear of the hooded youth, and then you start to realize that they are, in fact, still kids. And one of the scenes I really like is when the girls call out Moses for attempting to rob Sam. I think one of the reasons I like this film is that you can watch it on several levels. You can get the social commentary, which there's a lot of, but then you can also watch it as just a regular, entertaining, sci-fi monster film.
1: Yeah, I, I do really enjoy the kinds of limited cast get picked off one by one by Monsters films. It feels like Deep Blue sea, that kind of thing. Uh, those, those are some of my favourite. Switch, switch your brain off and enjoy, just enjoy the ride kind of a film. But then they do so much more. John Boyega is, is fantastic as Moses. He's not your typical last guy standing. I kind of thing. he's very stoic and he, he has very few lines in the film. It's like, I think Pest has far more lines, far more irritating character. But well named. Boyega does so much with, with so little dialogue and just expressions. This is why I having watched this film, I now I now dislike the Star Wars sequel trilogy more just because of they kind of waste John Boyega. Uh, he could be doing so much more than just playing the kind of comic relief side character. He could be so intimidating. Says so much with just a look.
0: He brings a lot of layers to the character of Moses because Moses is very loyal to his friends, but also just the neighborhood in general. That, yeah,
1: definitely. And when he gets given some drugs to go and so he, gets, he kind of gets the bump to go and sell some cocaine. And he doesn't get to do that. When he when he comes back out to his friends he's like trying to hide it but there's he's got like a little smile underneath and just looking at him if you don't know him you don't know, know that anything's going on but his friends know him and they can see that oh he's not quite as serious as he normally is he's a little bit lighter Something's gone on there's a lot of layers to his performance and he does a real good job of it again all of the kids do it. Can, this is a very realistic alien invasion film feels very authentic the relationship all the kids have with each other but we haven't mentioned the language yet there's a lot of Britishisms which if you just listen to read the script you've no idea what's going on but with their intonation and muted use of the words, you kind of, you pick up on what they're saying.
0: Very authentic, that's how kids talk. I think I was saying allow it, I know, <laughs> maybe about 24 times to my son <laughs> since we watched the film and it's infectious. And you're right, you do pick up on the slang and just their camaraderie. And one of the things I like about this film is that Moses bears so much on his shoulders and that his friends are there to help, but there's also consequences. Because of his initial actions to chase after the female alien, he basically condemned himself, but also his friends so a couple of his friends actually lose their lives in this film where normally in these type of films i'll use super eight as an example the people around the kids die you know, nothing would ever happen to the kids, whereas here, you generally are not sure if any of these characters are gonna make it out alive. Yeah, because you've got
1: kind of an innocent comparison. You've got Probs and Mayhem, the two younger kids. They're kind of the the kids of this film. They're, they're gonna be fine. But although, saying that, the first, other than the aliens, the first thing to die is a dog. And one thing you do is you don't kill the dog in films. So once that happens, all, all bets are off, really. Yeah, that's true. And then, you know, one kid dies avenging his dog, <laughs> which, you know, you've got to avenge the dog. Never really felt scared that the two, the problems mayhem would, would die. And then what, what, but yeah, the gang, no one is safe. You, you kind of think once you find out they are kids and living at home with their parents, that, that maybe they're all going to be fine. But then when the first one of them, Dies in a very horrific manner, but still a very budget, well budgeted manner. It's kind of genius to put a character in a moped helmet and then show him being decapitated by just throwing the helmet across the room.
0: I think this film does a, a wonderful job for its budget. A couple of times I've watched this film now, I forget that it's a low budget film just because it's so polished. And the helmet scene was interesting this time around because my, my son asked me, "So did his helmet pop off, or <laughs> did his <laughs> head, head <Yeah>. pop off?" <laughs> A little from column A, a little from column B. He's not alive anymore. Let's just focus on that. <laughs> yes we won't speak of this to your mother you know
1: <laughs> but you should wear a helmet if you ride a bike
0: <laughs> yes yes exactly but even how the kids move around there's a part earlier when he's on the little moped he's going down the steps and and wipes out you get the sense that these are genuine kids who in times of crisis aren't going to be the suave smart individuals that survive everything they know how to survive with whatever means is is there but circumstances aren't gonna allow it and i think probs and mayhem are interesting characters because kids who the only thing they see is they want to be like the bigger kids and the bigger kids are in these gangs which look cool so we want to be just like them you know, and they end up being heroes of their own. The respect they earn their names by saving Biggs. In the dump. Yeah, that's bigs Yeah. Whenever they're on screen, I crack a smile because they're just so delightful.
1: They're fighting with a toy gun and a super soaker filled with petrol. Uh, yes. Which is, is inspired. <laughs> and it must be maybe the best weapon in the world when a gang go to like tool up at their respective flat. One comes out with fireworks. That's his best weapon is fireworks <laughs> and a baseball bat. And which, you know, they work. They're useful. But these are very much kids' weapons. One guy with a katana. That's nuts. I don't know who has three katanas and he only brings one. Bring them all. Share them around. <laughs> I don't like when Moses sees the swords. Like, oh, yeah, I'll have a sword. And then leaves Dennis with nothing. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: even him when they're at the girl's apartment and the aliens break in and he's got the sword thinking alright I'm going to be a hero he gets stuck
1: and then the the girls are fighting with an ice skate that's a badass weapon and I
0: also like the evolution of the female characters in this film because it's Sam who saves Moses at that critical moment in the apartment and that's being juxtaposed with the girls as you said one girl's got a skate the other one's got a A light fitting yeah a broken lamp and they're just going to town on these aliens (laughs) and then after all is said and done and they're you know mourning the loss of one of their friends they basically say look this is all on you Moses you brought this how dare you you should have known better they, they're the voice of reason but they're also allowed to be badass characters in their own right yeah they, they do what's needed at the time and then once that's
1: over they're to the sensible option of just getting away from the situation <laughs> it's not their fight and as we've seen anyone who's close to Moses anyone who's involved in this they're at risk
0: even though their time on screen is limited they pick up right away that they're actually just going after you. Moses, not anybody else. We don't understand why they're going after Moses at that point until you realize he's the scent on him, and the aliens are just in heat.
1: Yeah, I mean, they don't have any eyes; or any, they're following their scent of smell. You know, if the, the female comes to the planet, the males will then go and try and take over the place by copulating with the female. And they don't—if they can't sense the female's been killed in any way—they're just going to follow the smell and all over him.
0: It does allow for probably the most implausible portion of this film, but also one of the coolest. Look- moments and that's when Moses decides he's got to make things right and destroy all the aliens so he runs down the hall with the the female alien strapped to his back
1: in very nice slow motion it's very well
0: used and they have all these aliens chasing after him but are never quite able to catch up to them even though we've seen throughout the the rest of the film that they're very fast very fast and in the previous
1: scene you had Sam tiptoeing past them barely making it through and she doesn't have any, any pheromones on her and then Moses is covered and carrying the dead egg <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a, li- it's a little uh, far-fetched
0: it is but it's a it's a wonderful kind of heroic action sequence him tipping the uh, the couch down as he's jumping over it he goes through all of that only to get arrested at the end yes well that's it oh, throughout the,
1: the only police we see are they're looking for Moses and, and the rest of the group because Sam Give a give a description for the guys having mugged her, and that's all the police seem interested in is catching the muggers rather than the alien invasion. And at the end of the film, they catch the muggers and Nick Frost and Bruis being involved in the drugs. They don't care about the aliens and who's who saved who. It's just oh, this is the positive ID. This is the guy we we're looking for earlier. Let's arrest him. He probably didn't get off from this. He probably went through the system.
0: Yeah, and if you think about it, they go in with essentially a major SWAT team, and you think okay, it's because the aliens, what have you? But it's no, some cops were killed they believe that this teenage gang are the ones who did it and they bring an entire SWAT team into the building
1: when sam sees them after after that attack she says that they set these dogs on the police so that could well be like the, the police may have found the bodies of the whoever's left of the two officers who were killed and assumed the same thing that you know these kids have some good kind of a dog and they set it off and, and that's what happened it's a sad state of a fest.
0: you had mentioned that they also pick up bruce and nick frost's character i think it was ron yeah Ron's. ron yeah who has the the weed room and when you look at a character like Bruce, he overtly and also subtly hits the point home because he's there to buy weed from ron for a party for a party and he's talking about how he can't go to the slammer he's been pinched once (laughs) by his parents (laughs) when he left weed in his trousers his parents found weed in his trousers and he got in trouble and they cut off his allowance yeah his allowance is cut off but he lives at home so he doesn't (laughs) pay rent anyway he is a walking embodiment of privilege you know he can absolutely listen to KRS-1 the sound of the police what have you and then when the gang comes he turns it down and he's able to you know talk all nice and sweet he can be the oh yeah I'm down with you guys but oh I gotta watch out because you know mommy and daddy might be mad and who knows they might take the car away this time like his sense of danger and I might lose it all is nothing compared to what those kids have to go through on a daily basis
1: I kind of feel like Bruce should have died just at some point in the film <laughs> I kind of I feel like he shouldn't have survived but I wanted a bit more of a body count and he would have been next to go I think I wouldn't have been upset about that also like Nick Frost I, I love Nick Frost as an actor Ron also could have been on the on, in the firing line when Sam's trying to save them he like pokes his head out and like is everything safe and she's like no he's like oh okay and just ducks back into his room and hides kill him just kill him add him to the list of bo- add him to the body count
0: would have made sense too because both Ron and Bruce barely get a scratch on them no
1: they're in the- flat directly above the one that explodes so they could have been taken out from
0: that and you get the sense that once they get arrested that they'll most likely get off with a slap on the nose like ron might get a fine for having the weed in his house but then he could always claim that it was high hat who it was his flat or what have you
1: and Bruce will be like i have no idea what's going on i'm sorry i was kidding
0: because there's that great scene where bruce is going back to his car and you realize that i guess it was the, in, the initial car where the alien had first landed
1: Yes, yeah, his dad's car.
0: His dad's car, and he hears the sirens, and his first thing is to jump over the the hedges and hide out. Can't get in trouble yet again. After he explains about the pheromones and whatnot, it's like, okay, Bruce, you've served your purpose. It's time for you to go. We don't need you anymore. We know he will be smoking weed another day while those kids are probably going to still be locked up. Kind of irks you a bit. But what did you think of... The I was about to say soon to be rap star, but his life unfortunately got cut short. Hi hat, the head drug dealer in the flats who runs the block in his own twisted kind of way.
1: Yeah, he's he's the the main human uh, antagonist, isn't he? I kind of feel like he was a bit of a stereotype villain for these kinds of films. He, he was entertaining, but he's a bit over the top. He goes a bit psycho, so he goes a little bit too far. I've not seen Jermaine Hunter in anything else, but I think he, he did well with the character um, as being like an entertaining villain presence. But yeah, he's just just a, a little over the top. What did you think of him? I,
0: I thought, similar to you, he's entertaining, but he does hit a lot of familiar stereotypes. And I thought that he went 0 to 60 way too fast Yes, in this film and the fact that when they first smash the car and the kids get out and he realizes it's them, they let Sam go and he has no interest in Sam who's a witness like his obsession with I have to get Moses felt a little off especially since Pest is the one that kind of steps to him the most yes and I'm thinking the type of deranged character that Hi-Hat's supposed to be a person like Pest shouldn't be able to just kind of step to him as freely and then still be able to live to tell the tale about it well I think
1: yeah yeah you're right and I think if if there had been Fewer aliens on the scene, then the situation may have ended differently because the kids run away before High has can finish dealing with them. His second in command gets gets taken out gruesomely as well. So yeah, I, I think that's had the aliens not been there, then that would have ended differently for for Pest certainly. Yeah, I'd have been okay with that. I didn't like Pest.
0: Pest is one of those characters that after he gets bitten, he's still able to run around the same speed as all those. Like I know he's he's hobbling here or there, but he even goes back for one of the individuals that gets a a fairly gruesome death i think it was dennis uh jerome okay jerome in
1: in the in the firework hallway and all the smoke there. yeah yeah so he
0: goes back for jerome and i'm thinking you can barely stand yeah (laughs) and yet you're going back with a bat and then somehow you're still able to make it back to the apartment like he he has some type of horseshoe that always seems to allow him to prevail even though others who in the group who i think should have gone farther than him it, don't don't have that
1: absolutely again I, I thought as soon as this character starts like hitting on Jodie Whittaker saying he, he's being proud that he's wearing clean underwear I didn't think he was long for this film and I was kind of disappointed that he was that he's one of the few that's uh, alive at the end he's in the back of a police car with Moses uh, but he's still going
0: yeah his his mouth is always a, a source of contention and it's his interactions with Jodie Whittaker were annoying but I also liked her response to it like I, I liked the character of Sam throughout, even though she's supposed to be like the i guess the victim at the beginning you you find out there's interesting layers and the fact that they're even shocked a person like Sam would even live in that community her kind is not normally what you get in those those flats so
1: yeah but then when they find out she's a nurse they you know they hint at that nurses don't get paid any much at all so there's that kind of layer of message it's not really dealt with too much but the NHS in the UK is is desperately underfunded especially now yeah i think her character was very good too and you can see why she went on to do better bigger things this, she was a nurse here before she became a doctor that's true uh,
0: <laughs> i'm sorry no no i'm, I'm a fan of doctor <laughs> who so i uh, i appreciate that joke they also made reference to her non-existent boyfriend or her boyfriend who's decided to go overseas and
1: not not help kids kids here.
0: You know, there's a, there's a lot of interesting layers to the character of Sam. And I think Jodie Wicker just did a, a really great job in this film. Like You can understand her frustration of being having to be around those teens after experiencing such a traumatic event. But then when he starts to realize that the kids aren't quite what she initially thought and they realize that she's not what they thought, I felt like the bond between them grew organically it didn't feel forced in any way. Yeah, and
1: at the end when she's she says like that they're my neighbours, they helped me. That it feels true. She's not like jumping in front of the police van to stop them being put away. It feels like a, a genuine that's what she would say, that's how the situation would resolve. She would try and stop them being driven away. She probably unsuccessful, but that's it what is being said. Uh, Is authentic,
0: and you, yeah, and you also realize that in the grand scheme of things, she's one person going up against this, a system that has been, you know, thriving and evolving long before she she moved into that complex. Yes, but you
1: know, she she has evolved over this night. She now sees the, sees these kids differently and understands a bit more. So it's just like your podcast; it's it's changing minds one reel at a time, one one person at a time.
0: Yes, exactly. And one thing that I I want to circle back on, you had mentioned about the actors in Ape Soups. Yes. And I must say, I love the character design. One of the things I find for monster movies, I usually enjoy them more when you don't see the monsters because the monsters are usually horribly done
1: yes, the, the, the jaws are all
0: yeah. yeah you get the odd exception like you know as we mentioned Jurassic Park I think is works great if you want to see it as a, as a monster movie because the dinosaurs look fantastic
1: yeah if you do see the monsters they have to be puppets they have to be animatronic <laughs> um, CGI monsters tends not to work very well
0: yeah you're putting actors in ape suits or what have you but then I guess using the digital rendering and just making them such a deep black so that the, yes. the glowing teeth stand out a haunting image but it also i found worked well for every scene so even when they're like popping up in the window and you kind of start to see the shadows and then they open your teeth and you realize how many of them there actually are
1: oh yeah yeah that shot behind high hats Mm-hmm. So just the window full of them. That's that's fantastic.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of smart ways that they use the creatures in this, and I didn't feel like I was watching Planet of the Apes, where you know there are actors there. Like I was able to just completely get lost in the design of this world. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, there's no there's no logical biological reason for why these creatures would have bioluminescent teeth, but it just looks cool. That's what you need to think about. Is hey, it's for film. It looks cool. Don't try and work out what well, how would this happen? How would these things evolve to be like this? It's not. It just looks amazing.
0: I'm trying not. To compare this too much to Super Eight because I also watched that again in preparation, but I found the creature in Super Eight isn't as effective once you see it fully in the, in that last act. I, I haven't even
1: thought about Super Eight for like five six years. I I've watched it and it just felt, I've got it on DVD somewhere. Can't even remember anything that happens in that tour other than they're making a film and that's all I can remember. So if they, if you say there's a creature in it, I don't remember it.
0: Well, I will say that the, you know them making the film is probably the best part, and there are a lot of similarities to Attack the Block. In terms of themes like the aliens attacking kids having fireworks available i'll say that super eight it's very much a film that shows you a certain level of privilege that certain storytellers get because for this film attack the block is very much a film with a domly minority cast but it's set in the inner city whereas super eight is in a lush, quiet, small town and the kids escape a lot of harrowing situations like a train crash and being stuck in a, I think it was like a bus or a police van in ways that you think there's no way that they would have all made it out as safely as they as they do. Whereas in Attack of the Bolt, it
1: seems like very realistic situations where they don't all get out and one of them ends up stuck in a bin for half of the film. That exactly. Seems, that's more, more realistic. Yeah, he's just going to hide. This is a genuine place that he would hide. He's probably scuffed his knee getting in there as well
0: people will die, like in Attack the Block there are these creatures that are here. They only want one thing. Whereas in Super Eight, there's this big scene where one of the characters talking the the alien into it's okay for you to go back home now. As I say, the Furious Seven talking Toretto back to life. <laughs> <laughs> where you you go. I don't. Okay, I understand what you're trying to convey with that scene, but I find it hard to believe that this creature would all of a sudden listen to this one kid and then decide, yes, it's now time for me to go home.
1: The, the Avengers scene where Hulk just screams at Tony Stark until he wakes up.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know it's science that's how it works that's how,
1: that's how people save each
0: other yeah and I mean Super 8's enjoyable in its own right it's weird because I saw that before Attack the Block and now if I have to pick a film to watch I'm automatically going to Attack the Block first good I'm
1: glad to hear that you can kind of tell that Joe Cornish is part of the, the Edgar Wright setup payoff school of, of, of writing and directing where he mentions things in the first act that pay off later in the film like when you've got Biggs can he make that jump he pretends that he can and then later oh, yeah. he does but where Edgar Wright might hang more of a land on it. Joe Cornish is like, oh, he made the jump. We're not even going to reference it. He just did it. you got to be paying attention to catch. And uh, when There's small things like when um, when Pest goes back to his flat, he goes in faking a limp so that he can walk out with a baseball bat hiding it. And then later in the film, he gets bitten in the leg so he's got a limp. I like that kind of thing where there's lots of little bits here and there to, to pick up on if you watch this more. Uh, this is just a really well-made film, everyone.
0: I had missed that thinking back. I'm like, yes, he did walk in with the limp to get the bat. So yeah, it didn't come full circle f- with, with that one. Big's jump was one that I knew was going to come back, but in many ways that felt anticlimactic when it actually did happen.
1: Because they don't mention it, it just kind of ha- and it's it's halfway through the film. Normally that would come back in the in the third act. He's going to save the world by jumping from one walkway to another somehow. No, he's just running away, and he makes it. If he tried that again without an alien chasing him, he might not make it.
0: They don't even let him have a moment to let the jump breathe. Where yeah, you know yeah. y- you have a shot of the aliens kind of cursing him in their own alien ways like no, the aliens jump right after him. So where he kind of looks back with a smile. and He's oh, I did it. And then Carathon ran it. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But uh, I
1: I'd like all these little little nods. There's probably a lot more that I didn't catch. Watch it again.
0: I would say that this film is endlessly rewatchable. I did notice there's a lot of
1: Americanization of, of the characters as well, where they've clearly been influenced by the media they watch. So they keep on talking about the feds. There's no feds in the UK. That's not a British thing. They reference a few American films here and there, but it's a very Americanized media take on, on British kids, which is true. That's how they would be. Most of, the, most of the things on TV here are American.
0: Jay, where can listeners find you?
1: My site is lifevsfilm.com. I'm on Twitter at lifevsfilm. Uh, Instagram is at, I think it's at J A Y C L U I but I have no idea. But mainly go to the LAMP site, so go to largeassmovieblogs.com. And if you're a blogger and want to be part of us, then find the Join the LAMP page and, and you know join the LAMP. We'd love to have you.
0: Excellent. And listeners, you can reach me on Twitter at smallmind or you can reach the show at Changing Reels AC on Twitter. And remember, you can change the conversation on diversity and representation in cinema one reel at a time.